Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about these things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, um, because she welcomes the spies was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is God's word. Great, good evening, good evening. Uh, My name's Chris, if we haven't met, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need you desperately to speak to us through your words. So we pray that you will speak to us tonight, and we pray that we will listen rightly and respond rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Prince Charles has been in trouble again this week, you might have noticed in the press. Um, You don't make many friends, that has to be said, by calling people Nazis. Anyway, uh, now Prince Charles has said a number of controversial things over his time. Uh, several years ago, he, he said that when he becomes king, he wants to be known as defender of faith. Defender of faith. Now, the queen, who is the uh, symbolic ch- head of the Church of England, she is known as, as defender of the faith. Charles wants to be defender of faith, which is interesting. And I think that reflects a, a common view that faith is something very worthy, perhaps, but something that is kind of undefinable. It is a kind of an undefinable gut feeling, perhaps. You know, what's my faith? Oh, you know, it's just faith. It's just faith. It's just my gut feeling. Now, as Christians, we don't think like that, do we? Or do we? Um, I think the term faith for Christians can be quite confusing. I found it confusing in the past. 
Uh, and we can be tempted to think of faith as that kind of gut feeling, that gut faith, ranging between perhaps kind of a super faith that never, never doubts, and kind of puny faith that kind of doubts quite a lot, that kind of range. You know, so might be something like kind of oh those Christians over there they have super faith no they never doubt and to be honest I'm quite intimidated by them make me feel a little bit kind of nervous actually Um, but on the other hand you might think oh those Christians over there well they seem to have all sorts of troubles and kind of and struggles and doubts I mean oh dear they're complete no hopers really they need to believe a lot more honestly now is that how we should think about faith Is that how we should think about faith? As you know, we're in the book of Hebrews, this letter. And the author is, well, he's writing to Christians who are tempted to uh, drift away from Christianity and back to Judaism, which was, uh, it was backed by the state. And the author says, don't do that. Don't drift away. Stick with Jesus. Don't drift. But after that, in, in chapter 10, at the end of that chapter 10, I get the feeling there are some silent murmurings going on as they read this letter. Some of the Hebrew Christians are saying, well, steady on, mister. Who said I don't have faith? You know, I've always believed in my gut, thanks very much. Now, can we talk about something else? Or other readers might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm struggling in my faith. You know, I don't think I have super faith, whatever that is, anymore. Now, what do I do? Do I give up? And the author is saying, okay, time out. Time out on this, this whole faith thing. Uh, let's get things cleared up a bit, okay? So how about I spend a chapter talking about faith and what it is and what it looks like, okay? And that's what chapter 11 really is. And we're going to look at the first half in particular. We're going to see uh, a statement and we're going to see a couple of sets of examples. So verses 1 to 2. Here we have our statements. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we believe. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is trusting that our hope is real. Trusting that our hope is real. Now, the Christian hope does have content, doesn't it? I mean, it's not undefinable. And particularly, it's the certain hope of heaven. And the certain hope that as Christians we can draw near to God right now by trusting in Jesus. Our hope has content. It is definable. And this hope is real. You know, it's, uh, Jesus has guaranteed it for us by his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. That's what he's been talking about in this letter. And it's guaranteed, therefore it's permanent. In chapter 12, verse 28, he says, We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This hope is permanent. It's set in stone. So this trust is not about a kind of subjective feeling, you know, my gut feeling. It's an objective reality. This is a hope we can be sure of. We can trust it if we trust in Jesus. But as the examples are going to show, this hope, this trust, must become a daily reality for us. Living by faith isn't just theoretically knowing, but visibly doing. It's about living it out daily. Living it out daily. Simply because our actions demonstrate who we trust, don't they? Our actions they demonstrate who we trust. 
Um, last summer, I uh, had to do some building work on my house, and we had to get a builder and an electrician, okay? And they both made promises to us that they'd get the work done on time and all that kind of thing. Uh, now, the builder was someone who'd been recommended by a friend, and that was great, so we knew about him, and we gave him the keys, and he got on with the work. Brilliant. Now, the electrician, well, we found him on the internet. Good start. He had good reviews. Um, but the first day, he turned up um, a couple of hours late, and then he just he, well, he had lots of cups of tea and wanted to chat quite a lot. So I had to make sure to get him to do the work and carry out his promise. I had to sit there with him, essentially. Every day, he was there. And one or two days, I wasn't there. And actually, my wife's brother went to sit with him, and he, he, he hardly talked to him, just not getting the conversation, just sat with him to make sure he did the work, carried out his promise. Now, the building electrician had both made promises to me, and if someone was looking in from the outside, who would they think that I trusted? The builder or the electrician? The builder had my keys, the electrician had a babysitter. You know, it's quite obvious who I trusted, because our actions demonstrate who we trust. And faith is trusting that our hope in Christ is real. And it's a real trust demonstrated by our actions, visibly, day by day. And then the author goes into some examples, well, quite a few examples, actually. A long list of ancient examples from, from the Old Testament. Now, these ancients were commended for living by faith. Not for having a gut preference for faith. Not for having a super faith that most of them were pretty messed up in many ways. No, they were commended for living by faith. And we're going to look at two particular groups. Uh, first, in verses 3 to 7, in this group here, and what we see is that they pleased God by actively trusting him. They pleased God by actively trusting him. Verse 6 is, in many ways, the summary statement for, these, for this group. So let's look at that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, they please God by trusting that he exists and rewards. First, by trusting that God exists. Or you could say kind of treating God as God. Now, in fact, he starts uh, with creation in verse 3. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What's he saying? He's saying God exists and created the whole universe out of nothing, by his command, by his word, okay? And he's saying, is that your view of God? Not a God who is a kind of little mascot, you know, lucky toy that you have in the car, and that kind of thing. And not a kind of a teddy bear God that's kind of weak and powerless. No, 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 not those gods. Is your view of God that he is the origin of everything? He made the universe in power. He knows and oversees everything. That's the God we are called to trust. And then verses 4 to 7. These um, examples from early Genesis. Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Now they trusted God by treating him as God, not as a mascot or a little teddy bear. Abel, uh, Abel, uh, he gave an offering to God by faith, and he he offered God his very best produce. We're told in in Genesis, he was trusting God as his provider. 
Uh, Enoch, he sought God. In Genesis, we're told he walked with God. That means kind of a closeness of trust, a, a dependence. Noah uh, obeyed God. He had a holy fear and he, he trusted that God is rightful judge. So he obeyed God's commands and built the ark. So they treated God rightly as their, their creator, their provider, their rightful judge. And we're told that this pleased God. Abel was commended as righteous. Enoch pleased God. And Noah had done what God commanded, which pleased him. So it's true that trusting God pleases him. Of course. Why is that really? Because, well, it's not because he loves our attention. Let's be clear about that. But because you're acknowledging that he exists, that he is good, that he willingly provides, that he is who he says he is. He is the God of the universe. And what about us? Well, it really matters who we think God is, who our trust is in. Now, what happens if we think God is a a lucky mascot, a lucky toy? Well, when things go wrong, we won't understand why they've gone wrong. You know, does a mascot not work? The batteries run out? We won't trust him. We'll probably just try and get a new mascot and just move on. Or if we think God is a kind of teddy bear God, feeble and powerless, well, we don't think he's our creator, our judge. Well, we're not going to trust him, really, are we? Why would you? We're not going to listen to him, really. We'll only trust God actively if we treat him as God. Living by faith is pleasing God by actively trusting him. They please God by trusting that he exists, and secondly, by trusting that he rewards. Let's look again at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God does reward. Now that reward is variable in the here and now. Even Noah, well he was saved and was vindicated by God for trusting in him. Brilliant. Enoch, well Enoch, he was zapped up to heaven before he even died. Now that's a reward. Abel, Well, Abel pleased God, but was then killed by his brother, who was jealous. How's that reward? Well, reward in this life for trusting God is variable. It's true that some people do seem to be more rewarded in this life than others. Others have repeated struggles, and it's hard to know why sometimes. And we need to be really clear that this is not a reflection on the quality of your faith. It's not the more faith, the more reward now. It's not that. Abel acted by faith, but he was killed. And there will be times when it seems that God's reward is by taking things away. And that is hard. But even then, or especially in those hard times, when we trust God, he often does reward us with, you know, with growth and maturity, with greater peace, greater contentment in him. Those are good, good rewards. And of course, the most important reward is always yet to come. The hope of heaven. Trusting God pleases him and is rewarded. 
That's the first group of examples. They please God by trusting him. Now our second group, verses 8 to 22. They actively trusted in the promised future. And here we're looking at Abraham and his descendants. Uh, two things in particular. They, they left their own inheritance and they longed for God's inheritance. First, they left their own inheritance. Uh, back in Genesis, out of nowhere, God called Abraham and promised to bless him with, uh, to bless him with countless descendants in a land, uh, in a land blessed by God and becoming a blessing to the nations around the whole world. Now, what a promise that is. Just one thing for Abraham, God told him to leave his own country. He had to leave behind his, his brick house, his, the security of his community, his pension, his whole inheritance. Oh dear. And verse 8, he didn't know where he was going to. Verse 9, he would live in a, a weird place where no one was like him, in a tent in the sand. Verse 13, verse 13, he didn't receive the things promised in this lifetime. He lived like an alien, like a stranger. And verse 15, he could have come back. I mean, it doesn't look all that great, really. I mean, the TripAdvisor reviews are pretty rubbish here. But what made him go and keep going? What made him go and keep going? It wasn't a gut preference for faith that kept him there. And it definitely wasn't a kind of super faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah, all these folks, they, they found it hard. They messed up. They questioned God repeatedly. They doubted him. They even laughed at him. And I'm sure it's the same for many of us, doubting and questioning, of course. But despite the questioning, at the end of the day, verse 11, they still considered him faithful who had made the promise. They considered God faithful. He would keep his promise. And that's the point, really. It's not about the quality of our faith. It's the quality of God's faithfulness. Some days our, our faith feels like kind of rock solid, and the next day it feels like jelly. Well, what do we do in that situation? That's not the point. God's faithfulness is rock solid every single day. And I like Abraham. We too, I mean, living by faith does mean leave, leaving things behind. It does mean that. But if we get God's faithfulness, well, we can start to do this. And then leaving behind uh, maybe the respect of certain friends who don't like Christianity. Leaving behind some of our free time because we're committing to serving at church. Leaving behind our previous career aspirations or lifestyles that would dishonor God. All those kind of things. We can leave those behind. And if we're not leaving anything behind, well, Hebrews would say, are we living by faith? Are we living by it? Which means trusting God. Abraham and the others, they, they trusted God for the promised future. They left behind their own inheritance and then they longed for God's inheritance. They longed for God's inheritance. Let's read from verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
They longed for God's inheritance. Abraham and the others, they, they knew God was promising more than just present day inheritance. Verse 19 tells us that God, that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead in referring to Isaac. And, you know, Abraham's thinking God's definitely got something better in store and he has the power to achieve it. And in this section, we have a wonderful comparison between our present experience and our future promise. Uh, We are uh, similar to Abraham in that sense, except that we know these truths far more clearly now through Jesus. Of course we do. If we're trusting in God, well, then on the one hand, verse 13, we, we don't receive everything in this life. We feel like strangers. This world is not our own. We realize we don't belong. But heaven will be incomparable. Incomparable. It will be, verse 14, it will be a place of our very own. Verse 16, it will be better, heavenly. God himself has prepared it. Verse 10, it's permanent and indestructible. A city, not a tent, with foundations, not just tent pegs. God is the designer. God is the builder. Now, especially if you're not a Christian, it is crucial to recognize that we do not deserve these promises from God. And in fact, the promise of heaven can only be ours if we trust that Jesus Christ has died in our place on the cross to make us acceptable in God's sight. But if we do trust this, then these promises are for us. And for Christians, this passage calls us very strongly to long for God's inheritance, to long for it, I think both in in heart and mind, if I can put it like that. You know, to long for it in heart by desiring what God has in store for us and not desiring the perfect life today. And longing for it in will by by looking forward and making daily decisions in light of that future. Uh, Sometimes in the summer, I play a bit of cricket. I'm not very good, but I quite enjoy it. and often a ball gets hit to the kind of the far end of the field into a thick hedge where it's impossible to find it. It's not usually me hitting it that far because I'm quite weak. Anyway, um, but to find the ball, how do you find the ball? It's a long way away. You've got to mark it with your eyes. You've got to mark it. And you fix your eyes on it. And if you do that, you know where to go, don't you? You know where to find it. Because you don't take a step backwards or to the side. You just keep looking at it. To keep looking forward and step forwards, trusting that that's the way to go, and you'll find the ball. And longing for God's inheritance is a bit like that. You fix your gaze on it, fix your eyes on, on Christ. And by doing that, you're fixing your eyes on him. You know where to take the next step. And not backwards, not to the sides. You're looking forward to him and you just step forward in that direction. And this equips us to trust God in daily decisions. Maybe we're feeling, uh, I don't feel like going to church tonight. Just don't feel like it. But I trust God, so I'm going to step forward and go. 
maybe you're thinking, um, but I don't feel like kind of being patient again with that uh, colleague of mine at work. It's so annoying. I don't feel like being patient with them. But I do trust God, so I'm going to step forward and go and trust him. I don't feel like having that kind of awkward conversation with my family about my faith. But I trust God, so I'm going to step forward and go. Longing keeps us actively trusting God and stepping forward. So what is faith? Faith is trusting that our hope in Christ is real. And living by faith is not just theoretically knowing, but actively, visibly living out our trust in Christ. And the start of chapter 12 tells us where the author is going with this. Uh, He says, throw off anything that prevents us trusting in Christ. He says, run the race with perseverance. He says, fix our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who makes God's promises a certain reality. Now by his coming to earth, his dying on the cross, his rising to new life, he opens the way to draw near to God and guarantees it for those trusting in him. Even if by trusting we suffer pain, disappointment, persecution. Now think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he died. Now even Jesus, in his human nature, didn't feel like trusting his father. He said, take father, take this cup from me. But he decided he would trust his father. And without that trust, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. We wouldn't have a promise to be able to hold on to. Faith is not just gut faith. It's actively trusting and think of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, all over the world today, who are suffering because of that very trust. Especially in places like uh, Syria or North Korea. Now, a North Korean Christian recently spoke to MPs uh, to explain the conditions that Christians suffer in those camps. Um, let me read some of this. It is extraordinary. Uh, tortures and beatings are routine. And prisoners were so hungry that they they were reduced to eating rats, snakes, or even searching for grains in cow dung. Sometimes we had soup with nothing in it, just full of dirt. In some places, whole families were put into camps. They separated the men from the women, and even if they saw each other, they couldn't talk to each other. The guards told us that we are not human beings, we're just prisoners. So we don't have any right to love. We are just animals. Even if people died there, They didn't let the family members outside know. What do these North Korean Christians think about faith? Are they thinking, this is awful, but thank goodness I've got a great super faith. Woohoo! They're not thinking that. They're not thinking, thank goodness I've got a, a gut inclination to faith. They're not thinking about faith at all. They're thinking about God. They're thinking about Jesus Christ. Thank God he died for me. Thank God he rose from the dead. Thank God he has promised me heaven. Thank God he will take me there. He will be worth my trust. Every single day. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, your promises to us in Jesus Christ are wonderful and they are true. Thank you for the certainty that by trusting in him we will be with you one day and we will be able to fully express our praise and thanks and wonder at what you have done. Lord, we pray that these truths would not just be head knowledge for us, but that they would change our lives visibly, that we would walk with you, actively trusting you with every aspect of our lives and growing in our love for the Lord Jesus. Please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.